2016, I was diagnosed with temporal lobe epilepsy. My, my daughter actually kind of helped me receive this diagnosis. When, when I lived in England and I saw a therapist there, um, cause I had been told, you know, bipolar, borderline personality. Imagine going through your childhood, through adolescence, into young adulthood and beyond with feelings of self-doubt or lacking confidence in your cognitive abilities or having bouts of anxiety or depression because of certain symptoms that you felt weren't normal or at the very least most other people weren't having these experiences. Maybe even in some instances feeling like you were crazy only to find out well into adulthood that there was an underlying reason there the whole time that explains those experiences and feelings. A diagnosis. Finding out you're autistic at 48. So what happened? How, How did this late diagnosis come to be? No therapy seemed to help. And I I remember going to therapists and I would just be like, no, I just, as a person, I don't, you know, I, I never could figure out who I was. I never could figure out, um, I had no real sense of self like at all. That's Carolyn Exum. She's a stand-up comic who didn't find out until she was 48 that she is on the spectrum. That is to say she's autistic no self-esteem I was almost just like floating around in the world with just you know I couldn't I always had a hard time connecting on this episode of Zen Sandwich we're talking not only about getting diagnosed with something as an adult that might have always been there we're also talking about finding answers is getting a significant lifetime diagnosis as an adult a traumatic event a life-altering mental health prison sentence? Or is it a relief because it finally explains things that were worrisome before? Does it actually result in a positive mindset shift so that one finally has some guidance as to how to live the rest of their lives going forward? You're listening to Zen Sandwich a podcast for the independent mind and anyone who embraces life despite its absurdities. Join former attorney and professor-turned-Japanese papermaker Mark Reed each week as he talks with creative, inspiring, and influential people, or as he shares his own research to help make your world a little better today than it was yesterday. You'll hear four stories on this episode, each with a different diagnosis. We begin with Kristen Taylor. Tell tell me what exactly is your your diagnosis? Uh, it's it's adult onset epilepsy, right? You didn't have it as a child. Did you have any symptoms of it? You know, leading up to when you were diagnosed. Um, that's correct. I, in 2016, I was diagnosed with temporal lobe epilepsy. And before the diagnosis, I did have some symptoms, probably starting around ninth grade, but those are more dizzy spells or kind of migraine type issues. Were were those the only signs that you had beforehand, that you had some dizzy spells or whatever? Did you ever foresee that it was something as serious or significant as 
epilepsy? Um, no, I didn't. I, I had hit my head skiing. So I thought it was just from that. And that's what I was told in ninth grade, at least. And then about six months before I was diagnosed in 2016, um, or maybe a year before I started having olfactory hallucinations. So I would smell something that didn't actually exist. Mm -hmm. I'd have a deja vu dream. Then I'd be hit with fear, but I was really concerned about telling my partner at the time, my husband at the time that this was happening. I looked up schizophrenia. I looked up, um, cancer or tumors in the brain. Um, and I started also recognizing people I didn't know. So my temporal love also affects uh, facial recognition and word recall. Wow. So those things were happening before I had a really huge seizure in my sleep that brought out the diagnosis. That must have been terrifying. There, there were times that, yes, it was very terrifying. I thought it was anxiety attacks, but then I was having this deja vu dream that would come up. And it was always about this man with shrimp, which sounds really silly, but, and then he go, I'm going to leave you with this, but I would be present talking to you. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like I was in two worlds at one time. Wow. And that's symptomatic of, of epilepsy. Yeah. So when I woke up in the hospital in March of 2016, uh, they asked me if I'd ever had maybe deja vu or smells or visions or loss of consciousness. And when I described my, you know, the, the smell that would come, then a deja vu, then fear, and sometimes a lot of sadness. Mm -hmm. uh, the doctor literally said, that's like textbook seizure right there. Oh, wow. But just a different type, because you always think of seizures as somebody completely, com you know, like convulsing on the ground, and right. um, which I have now started having as well. But for the people that um, have seizures that don't lose consciousness, it can be absent seizure. It can be some will lose their bowels, so they'll actually wet their pants without even knowing it. Um, sure. Some will start walking crooked. So it just depends on what part of the brain is affected. How how has your life changed after you got the diagnosis in 2016? Um, what what all has taken, you know, we're in 2023 now as we record this. Um, what's different now? <laughs> There's a lot. Um, first of all, for the first two years, I didn't think I was capable and I had extreme fear and anxiety. So my brain received, I had some brain damage, um, and trauma that occurred with that long seizure in 2016. Hmm. Um, I'm supposed to take medication always, but the medications create issues and, um, my own obstacles I need to overcome like anger or ag agitation. Every time I have a seizure or I have seizures during my sleep, when I wake up, usually I have facial recognition issues. So I know I had seizures, mm. but also anxiety and depression are very, very prevalent, very close at hand. And um, I've learned to know that it does pass. Sometimes it takes a week or two after a seizure Oh, wow. I'm driving. So in 2022, I wasn't able to drive for nine months of the year because I had three different um, seizures while awake. One of them was February 5th. I was actually in a rollover. I was driving. I was going 80 miles an hour. Oh, wow. And so I live in this state of, you know, if I feel a seizure coming on now, I don't know if it's going to be one of the big seizures where it's about five minutes long and I lose my memory mm -hmm. or 
it's just one of my temporal lobe seizures where it's mostly sensory and it still requires recovery. I still have a lot of um, just my body literally needs to recover. My brain needs to recover and mm. it's affected my children. It affected my partnership. Um, mm. he, my husband severe at the time, um, he really struggled and felt a lot of, uh, what is it? The just severe anxiety and feeling of being abandoned in a way, because mm. when he woke up and saw me shaking on the bed at the time, we had a seven month old and a two year old, two and a half year old. Mm. And the seven month old was like crawling across my chest. I looked like I was dead because I stopped breathing for a moment after about four to five, six minutes of convulsing. Wow. And it's my husband from Italy who wakes up to that and has no idea what's going on and thinks his wife passed away. He's with like four kids now because mm -hmm. I had two from my previous marriage and it created a lot of um, mental and emotional struggles, spiritual struggles, um, a complete almost rewiring. I, I would like to say of my brain, yeah. uh, I lost my personality for a good year and a half or more. And there are times where I still am up and down. Obviously, adult-onset epilepsy is an exceptional diagnosis with very significant consequences. And this episode isn't meant to compare the four diagnoses or to suggest that they're all the same. They're not. Some, like epilepsy, require a more stringent approach to dealing with the repercussions. But all of the adult diagnoses in this episode can be impactful on a person's livelihood in a variety of ways. This is Jennifer Sapp's story of being diagnosed with ADHD as an adult. You know, sometimes I would confuse things and I thought everybody is like me. Right. Um, but realizing more and more like what my daughter had gone through, um, you know, she was very anxious and the doctor said, you have anxiety and you're depressed. And she said that the medication isn't working. Um, she was sent to a neurologist who sent her to a neuropsychologist and within a few minutes of meeting her said, Oh, you're not depressed. You, you have ADHD. And it was like a light bulb went off. And I said, wait, what? I thought I'm not the you know person that can't sit still or, you know, just interrupt everybody. But you so know, wait, my the... daughter said, you do interrupt Go ahead. The, well, the so the doctor, the neurologist said that about you or about your daughter? Said that about my daughter, but a lot of things for me kind of a light went off. Okay. Um, and then I decided to go to my primary care and I was sent over to um, the same place as my, my daughter um, to be diagnosed as well. Okay. So a lot of these things that she had been going through. I had also been going through and I realized that um, as I was getting older, these things were getting worse for me. Mm. Um, not being able to sit still, sometimes not being able to concentrate. You can tell me your phone number 80 times and I will somehow invert the numbers or I just wasn't, it's not that I wasn't paying attention. I just don't absorb it somehow. Um, were, were there signs, indicators, earlier in your life uh, the beforehand? Did you ever think something before the doctor made any kind of observation or that you went and got uh, 
diagnosed yourself uh, right. throughout your life. You, uh, did you always think, well, everybody perceives the world this way? I did. Um, I just thought, I really thought that I was kind of high strung and that I, everybody did everything the way that I did. Um, you know, my right down to like math problems. I can't stand math. <laughs> it's just not my thing. But when I'm doing math and I was showing my kids something on the board, my son was like, why do you do it like that? You, you do it like the long way around. <laughs> you get this, you get the same result and I'm going, okay. But I realized that my ADHD brain just doesn't compute things the same way that other people do. And I realized that I was the different one, not that everybody else was different. <laughs> well, we're all and different. It, it yeah. was kind of a hard pill to swallow in the beginning. Well, that um, that is my next question is, um, you know, how did you first respond when you did sort of officially get the diagnosis? I said, oh, my God, everything makes total sense now. Um, I wasn't upset about it. I was like, well, finally, I realized that there's really nothing wrong with me. That's this so is what's been happening. That's so interesting. You So it was almost more of a relief than a, yes. to find out? Wow. Yeah, because I really thought I'm just messed up. <laughs> <laughs> well, There's something really wrong with me, aren't you know, we all, but, aren't we? Yeah. right? <laughs> to like but, find that out, I'm like, oh my gosh, wait a minute. Now everything makes sense. I mean, I explained it. Okay. It totally, it totally explained it. It came as a surprise to me that someone would get a diagnosis in adulthood and that rather than it being a traumatic event, it would actually offer some relief, some solace. An explanation that actually alleviated angst and stress that had been there. But surely Jennifer Sapp was the exception. Would other adults with a different diagnosis have a similar response? Here's more of Carolyn Exum's story, whom we heard from earlier. We lived in England. I was told by a psychiatrist at one point that he thought I might be on the spectrum, which even at that time, just a few years ago, it, it still wasn't super, super in the norm. Right. Um, that people could even be functional with autism. I mean, autism. It's, it's relatively recent that we even kind of have a, an understanding of the spectrum at all i mean there it, it, i think people have a a gross misconception of like you're either like rain man or you don't have autism you know and it's like that's exactly. yeah 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 exactly exactly you're you're either on on his level or you're a normal person right it there's just no in between and that's a really good way to put it because even I, when he was like, you might be on the spectrum, I was like, no. <laughs> um, I started seeing these TikToks from people that had uh, autism and ADHD, and it started freaking me out because they were saying things 
that I thought only I did Hmm. that. I mean, it, so you realize you had a community of folks that have have this experience. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, even, even things down to like the way I treat people or the way I have no filter, like I cannot, (laughs) I really, I just didn't know how to be social. I didn't know how to approach Mm. one and I still really don't me being aloof is actually me being terrified and I get it now I mean me too sometimes yeah yeah not knowing the right thing to say and not wanting to say the wrong thing and um you know, which, which I just thought, well, you know, cause I, I, one of my best friends is just like, she never meets a stranger, you know, she's just like, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and I, what, um, I was like, you did not need any warm up for that at all. You know, cause <laughs> I have to like psych myself out. Yeah. You know, hey, I'm going to have to talk to new people and they might be boring and I might not like them and we might not have anything in common. And they might get on my nerves and, and like my dad never understood. He was like, he's like, just be nice to people. And I'm like, but I don't like them. And I don't want them to think that I like them. Yeah. And if I'm, them, that will make them talk to me more. And if I'm mean to them right out of the gate, everybody knows where everybody stands. And my dad, just incredulous he was like no you still have to be civil and I'm like or I could just pretend they don't exist one thing I'm learning about my brain and one way I'm learning about being autistic is there's very black and white yeah you know things are one way like I don't like this person I shouldn't have to interact with this person I shouldn't have to you know be two-faced and make it seem like I like this person. Whereas neurotypical people just don't put that much thought into it. We turn now to Malu Moilanen. She is a dyslexia empowerment coach based in Finland. While she was diagnosed earlier in life with dyslexia, she now counsels clients from all over the world who often did not discover their diagnosis until adulthood. She helps empower dyslexics to, quote, unquote, love their brain. Uh, how do you start with a client? How do, you, how do you find out where they are in terms of their confidence level? And, and then what? Like after you make an assessment, where do you begin building their confidence and helping clients let go of their anxieties about having dyslexia or, or whatever? So we go through basically their life story from the very beginning where they first had their sort of first symptoms of dyslexia. Mm -hmm. Because there's something always in the childhood as well. So we go through all of that and we go through of the, what kind of emotions that rises them with them uh, now. And then we start dealing uh, with how we can change that. So what we do is 
we learn to communicate with ourselves in a different manner and then with others in a different manner. Mm. So we are basically learning away from sort of toxic um, and harmful ways of what you have been taught that mm. there's something wrong with you. Right. Or Yeah, well, talk about that. You said there's, you know, you you sort of dive uh deep into what kind of emotions that person might be feeling what kind of what kind are typical what what do you come across when you uh encounter a, a new client or something um anxiety mm. even depression anxiety um different levels of stress and that might be something that you are not even aware that you are having a full flight or fight response reaction mm. um we talk a lot about um, dyslexia mm. for children, but adults are the forgotten part. You are sort of, when you are finished with school, you are supposed to go on life uh, normally. Right. Like suddenly the dyslexia disappears, whereas it might actually cause different kind of trouble when you need to lead adult life mm -hmm. and you have, you have to take care of timetables, time um, anything that is work-related, mm. uh, take care of other people, uh, take care of numbers, taxes, right. money, that sort of things. So it might you might not even be aware of, of the influences. Mm. I, I know that you also you know, you teach people how to use meditation as a superpower. That's, I think, uh, mm -hmm. some of the language you've used. Uh, how do you introduce that to people who maybe have never tried meditation before? We start very slowly, mm. one minute meditation. Mm, yeah. And it usually if people have tried some sort, some sort of meditation, it's one of those mobile phone apps or mm. something from YouTube that right. doesn't necessarily have a lot to do with meditation. Right. And uh, the idea is, of course, that you have to sit in lotus position and, you know, be there for hours and empty your mind. Mm. So what we do instead is we stand up, use our entire body, we tense our muscles and mm. then release them. Oh, nice. And we are aware of, you know, what's going on. Right there and then we start to use breathing when you when you get the diagnosis later on in life um the best way to approach that is to get educated of mm. course um people who have gotten dyslexia diagnosis in different different eras mm -hmm. it was different in the 70s then in the 80s they had different reasoning and now there is like a bit of a there's more knowledge on what it is yeah there's a better understanding yeah. yes the understanding is definitely better uh so make sure that you get your facts first mm. that you know what it is yeah um everybody who i know who have received diagnosis on dyslexia later on it has been a relief for them mm. uh because it, they have received the explanation of, oh, I am not stupid. My brain works differently. Or, or you know, now it makes sense that I make left and right all uh. the time. So once again, there's this sense of relief. 
a comfort almost, in receiving a diagnosis as it explains the past and validates that there's nothing wrong with this person. Whether it's dyslexia, autism, or ADHD, they're completely normal, completely functional, and as you can tell, all highly intelligent. Let's go back for a moment to Kristen Taylor. I think it's fair to say that her diagnosis of adult-onset epilepsy stands apart from the others here in that there's still an unpredictability about what the future may hold. That, of course, is a bit tougher pill to swallow as an adult. But here is where she is today and her advice for anyone receiving a perhaps unwelcome diagnosis for anything as an adult. I've learned to let go and release and trust. That's something that's actually come through what I personally have been through this last year. Mm -hmm. The first year, it was complete fear and trying to control everything. I'm sure. And then after a few years of trying to do that, I recognize that I have no control. Um, it's kind of like when the person thinks that they know everything, they know nothing. That That's a good segue to the, uh, one other thing I wanted to ask you, and that's uh, what advice would you have? I mean, how did you get to a point of letting go and trusting? That's, that's what you said earlier. What advice would you have for someone who encounters something like this, a a life-altering diagnosis that they get later in life? Well, there's a few things. Number one, I definitely recommend finding other people who have been something through something similar mm-hmm. or have something similar, but have made it through, you know, or farther ahead in the journey per se. Mm-hmm. Um, that helped me a lot, especially at the beginning. I had, um, we even formed um, epilepsy uh, support group and we'd meet at my house of people that suddenly just popped in my life that epilepsy. Um, people so lo- locally, so it's not, it's not like yeah. there's a zoom meeting. You're talking about people you actually in your community that are mm-hmm. you know, at least nearby enough that they can drive to your house to, to do yeah. that. Wow. And so in person was really amazing. Then I have another woman who I met through, I don't even remember how, but, um, she lives out in Hawaii and she's an advocate for those who have disabilities and she has epilepsy as well. So I reached out to her. So what's the takeaway from all of this? I think there are several key components or common threads here that apply not only to someone who receives a life-altering diagnosis in adulthood, but for all of us. You could call this this episode's five minutes in. One, getting news that permanently alters the remaining course of your life doesn't have to be completely traumatic. It can often be a relief in the form of explaining the past, or maybe just something that transforms you by teaching you, like Kristen Taylor, to let go. It's all in the mindset and perspective. That isn't to say that, oh, okay, I'll be able to handle any life-altering news I get with ease now. Thanks, Mark. I'm not saying that. But if you are aware that you have the ability to change your perspective, to alter your mindset, you can take what at first might be unpleasant news and remold it, shape it, learn from it, and come out even better, stronger, and wiser. Two, I think the second lesson here is about community. Carolyn Exum talked about it, finding people through TikTok with similar symptoms. Kristen Taylor talked about it. 
Malu Moilinen shows her clients that they're not alone, that there are lots of people who have experiences of dyslexia and, and th thrive in the world. Jennifer Sapp and her daughter have a better understanding of past behavior and can not only relate better with each other, but are likely to identify others in the future who share their experiences. There's a blessing in disguise here that you can expand your world rather than be limited by a diagnosis. I've known alcoholics who later became grateful for their condition because they ultimately found community in AA groups and found a better life. So the takeaway is that you have the ability to change your perspective in life and that no matter who you are, no matter what ails you or what affliction you might have, there is a community out there for you. And in this day and age, it is much easier to find and connect with those people more so than ever before in the history of the world. Okay, that's all folks. If you enjoyed this episode, chuck us a few bucks. Info on how you can donate to the show can be found at the top of the page at zensamich.com. Take care and thanks for listening and breathe. Don't forget to breathe.